I have always believed, I've deeply believed, you know, that you can, you can write the very best things for the widest audiences. There is no reason why you know, good writing or good filmmaking should be confined to some kind of elite, peculiarly erudite, you know, nerdy audience. Now, I've always believed that good writing, even great writing, should connect with a very wide range of people. Because it's about it's about being human, you know. It's about experiencing a huge, you know, wide range of things as, as you go through life in different societies, the different sectors of society. Welcome to Bestsellers. I'm Natalie Jameson. And I'm Phil Williams. And today... Yeah, it's a kind of a special thing, right? Yeah, I think it is. There's no writers on the show today. We It suddenly dawned <laughs> on whoa, us. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Okay, you're right. There's no published writers on the show today. <laughs> nice correction. Um, it suddenly dawned on us that we read a lot of stuff to bring you on the podcast, but we also read outside of that and we don't get to talk about it. So, And then often... People in our lives come up to us because they know we do this. And they go, can you recommend a good book to us? Yeah. So what we thought we'd do is we thought we'd talk about the books that we've read that we haven't necessarily had a chance to interview the author about, right? Exactly that. And I do have a little snippet of a very well-known published author for you as well that not even you know about. No, really? Yeah, I do. Oh, wow. This is the first on-air present you've ever given me. Is it? Well, I don't know if it's yeah. a present. I like to think so. When's that? Is that when's that coming? Then do I have to wait? Well, let's do. Let's so. And we're going to do this kind of in two parts, right? So this week you are going to talk about the latest books that you've been reading, and then next mm -hmm. week I'm going to talk about a bunch of the books that I've been reading, and there might be some crossover, possibly not. But yeah, I'm kind of intrigued to know what's been on your reading pile as well that you've really enjoyed too. So let's do your first book that you've been reading, and then I'll play you my guest surprise. Author. Okay, so. These aren't in any kind of order at all. Don't don't think, oh, this must be his favourite or whatever. These are just in order of the pile by the side of the bed. <laughs> if you speak to anyone who loves books, as ha everyone has one. You've got one, haven't you? I have. Uh, this is probably an interesting juncture to say, I think we both do hybrid reading in terms of some yes. physical copies and some on an e-reader. I tend to do a lot of reading at night, and that's where my... Kindle comes in really handy because uh, I'm not going to bug my husband by having to put on a light. Yeah, and I've just been on holiday and I love the fact that I can have as many books as I want on my tablet. Yeah, it helps, not, right? It's not hefting down the hand luggage. But I do like one physical in the hand Me luggage. Me too. <laughs> because you can't take off and landing, you can't use your device. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the physical, uh, which I will start off with, and actually... It's a really good point you make about hybrid reading, unbeknownst to you, because a friend of mine who's Irish, which will give you a clue to the book, I said, oh, my goodness, have you read Blah? It's amazing. It's really blown me away. And he said, no, I'm listening to the audio book, and that is also different level. Yeah. So the, the book is Bono's book, right? Ah. And it's called Surrender, 40 Songs, One Story. And it's a memoir, but it's not your classic memoir. He's telling his life and the life of the band through the songs. 
right? So the, yeah. each chapter is a song with some lyrics there, and then he, he gets behind what the band were doing at that point. It's a great idea. But I saw him, I was really fortunate enough in February, I think it was February, to see him do this as a one-man show. He did London, Manchester, and Glasgow, and that was it. Yeah, he's now done and, New York as well. He's done a Springsteen right. and taken it to Broadway, I think. Well, it's phenomenal. And uh, so what I saw, it would appear, is, is the audio book. Mm. So there's all these different sketches and scenes he creates. And, and my friend Connor was saying to me, this is what he's done uh, with the audio book. And so if I hadn't already bought the physical, I would be getting the audio book because it sounds like a radio drama production. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It sounds way more than just one voice reading a book to you. Yeah, because he kind of like acts bits out as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, and there are sound effects to to bring certain scenes to life or certain cities to life. There are songs in there mm-hmm. and performances. So I think, you know, the, the audio book of this is well worth investigating. Uh, but I've got the physical and uh, bought it around Christmas, didn't have time to dip into it. And I've interviewed Bono twice, right? And the, the one of the occasions was in Dublin where mm-hmm. I was flown across and there was only me. There was only me there. I mean, it wasn't like... Like a, you know, sometimes you and I have done junkets where you get your seven minutes with Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. I think I did about 30 minutes with him. Um, so, in other words, the reason I'm telling you that isn't to brag. It's to say when you have that kind of a slot with somebody, you have to do your research. And so I thought I knew the story pretty well. Mm-hmm. Some of the stories in here are outstanding, <laughs> really outstanding. Uh, there's one about um, trying to re-sign a record deal and... As they're walking to the meeting, their manager gets a message on the phone to say that the price has been halved on the way to the, you know. You just think, really? You too? But it just shows how rife that kind of skullduggery is. Yeah. But my favourite story in it, because it shows how tight they are as a band, is that they were touring America and there was a campaign underway. I mean, this dates the story. Mm -hmm. There was a campaign underway to try and get Martin Luther King Day as a bank holiday in America, right? Mm -hmm. And they were the band were supporting it. And they'd been quite vocal on on chat shows and stuff about this. And Bono directly receives death threats, right? And these death threats say, I can't remember the city now. It's somewhere in Luther King territory, you know, in the spine of America. Uh, But the death threats say, if you perform Pride in the Name of Love at this gig, at this particular venue, you'll be shot, right? So they step up security and they obviously sweep the stadium and everything's heightened. But Bono says he's still really fearful, but he he doesn't want to be bullied into not singing the song. No. So he says in the final chorus, he drops to his knees and closes his eyes, right, and belts out the chorus. And when he opens his eyes, he says, I can't see the audience, right? And that's because Adam Clayton is standing in front of him. (gasps) That's how I felt. And I thought, wow, that's that's some friend, isn't it? Yeah. To go, well, I'll stand in front of you and just make it even harder for a shooter to to get a sight on you. Wow. I know. That's cool. That, that's a really cool. And that and I read that and I just had to put the book down for a good 10 minutes and take that in, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's full of stuff like that. It's really good. Even if you're not a U2 fan, and even if Bono is he addresses the fact that he's annoyed people in his life. He's annoyed the band, yeah. he's annoyed his own friends, he's annoyed fans. He addresses dropping that rogue album into all of our iTunes without asking, <laughs> you know. He addresses all of that. Yeah. And um I kind of quite like him for it. I think he's been quite an angry character. And I don't think he's at peace with himself. And um some of the campaigning that he did around drop the debt and all of that, you know, it took him so far away from his family and away from the band. Mm-hmm. Um, his dad was dying and he was having to jump on jets back every night to see his dad in hospital and then go to another gig. And um, it's it's a really good eye-opening read to the life of kind of a mega star, really. 
yeah. and also a megastar who's used his platform for campaigning. Yeah, I mean, similarly, again, this will sound like bragging, but I've also interviewed him a few times. So I haven't done like big sit down ones like you have. I've done more red carpet chats with him, but mm. I've always really enjoyed his company. And I think sometimes he can come across as being a little bit awkward, which people sometimes don't think you will be when you're at that level of fame. Right. So, you know, he'll he'll make a joke and it doesn't really land because it's the wrong <laughs> scenario yeah, but that happens yeah. to all of us right yeah yeah, um, yeah but i just wanted to pick up on that thing you were saying about that story and then adam clayton was standing in front of bono to protect him in case there was a shooter and he had to put the book down and i think that's something we don't often talk about that much about reading is that you do do it at your own pace and that does mean when something really hits you on the page or you know however you're reading it and you really have to kind of pause and like maybe reread that sentence and then just take a moment. I love that about reading. And we don't really do it in other mediums because it's continuous. I think even if you're watching something incredible on a streaming service at home, you're unlikely to pause it if you've been really affected by something. You'll just continue. And then if it's a well-made film or TV series, there should be some kind of moment built into the timing of that, I think, which will allow you to reflect on what's just happened. But mm -hmm. It doesn't really happen in other mediums where you can actually stop yourself mm. at the moments that mm. strike you personally. And allow it to percolate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a really good point. Yeah, it's a, it's a really moving book. I haven't quite finished it. I've got about 30 pages left. But I definitely wanted to recommend that just because it's not an obvious recommendation. If that, and I'm aware that he grates with a lot of people. I'll tell you a funny side story, by the way. Yeah. So the, the time when I went to Dublin to and we had half an hour with him. Mm-hmm. I was in a cab on the way back to the airport to fly back to the UK, right? Yeah. And this taxi driver was, he was broad, he was brilliant. He was like something from the commitments, right? And he, <laughs> and he kind of, you know, what's brought you to Dublin, blah, blah, blah. And eventually yeah. I thought, I can't, I was trying to drip feed it, but he was digging and digging. So I said, like, oh, yeah, I've, I've been here to interview Bono. And he goes, no way. Well, he was at school with Bono. And I said, well, you really, <laughs> you you're still in touch with him? He said, no, no. He said, but a couple of weeks ago now, I was down at the hotel there, the, what the man owns, you know, I said, the Clarence. Yeah, 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 the Clarence. He says, and I'm having a few beers with my mates. Like, anyway, I go for a piss. And he said, I stood there at the toilet and the bloke next to me, it's only Bono, right? <laughs> he says, and I look over and he's not peeing, you know, he can't go. And I said, what is it, Bono? Stage fright. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't know, I, I, I'm sure the story's entirely apocryphal, but it's a good story. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good story. It is a good story. <laughs> Right, before you get onto your next book, do you want my mystery surprise or Yeah, man, I'm really excited about this. Okay, so this comes from, I went to an event um, around kind of awards season time. So we we're recording in this uh, at the end of April, 2023. So earlier this year, it was an event called the Newport Film Beach Festival, right. which happened in London randomly. They kind of do an international version. And... Is it the Newport Film Beach Festival or the Newport Beach Film Festival? You'll find it. Uh, yeah. It's... It was actually really good. And there were some brilliant people there like Taryn Edgerton and Letitia Wright, Amy Lee Wood. And it kind of honours a lot of emerging talent. And mm. uh, one of the people who was there was Kazuo Ishiguro, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> legendary author who had written the Bill Nye film Living. He'd adapted that and uh, he was being kind of honoured for that. And I was not in the best place when I was covering this festival and I was talking to him briefly about um, 
how I was attempting to write as well, obviously nowhere near his level, um, that my first book had just been rejected by publishers, but, you know, my literary agent was like onwards and I'm writing the second and stuff. And he was very, um, very patient with me, I think, in this kind of environment. But uh, I got a couple of minutes to chat with him, which I thought was worth playing out here because, you know, he's so kind of lauded as an author, rightly so. You know, he wrote The Remains of the Day and Never Let Me Go, Clara and the Sun recently. Um, but he's also incredibly populist in the way that he approaches reading and being a writer. Um, and so that's what I wanted to talk to him about. So have a listen to this. What I've always enjoyed about your writing as well is obviously the themes that you bring up, but there's a lack of snobbery in what you do too, because I kind of hate snobbishness in popular culture. Have you ever had to combat that at all? Snobbishness. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what you mean by snobbishness, but but I suppose I, I've always, I mean, you know, people know me better as a writer of novels. And, and because I've won prizes like the Nobel Prize, people suspect, <laughs> that, so people suspect that I might be a kind of difficult, highbrow writer. But all the way through my career, I, I have always believed, I've deeply believed, you know, that you can, you can write the very best things for the widest audiences. There is no reason why you know, good writing or good filmmaking should be confined to some kind of elite, peculiarly erudite, you know, nerdy audience. Now, I've always believed that good writing, even great writing, should connect with a very wide range of people because it's about, it's about being human. You know, it's, it's about experiencing a huge, you know, wide range of things as, as you go through life in different societies, in different sectors of society. And so I, I've always believed in this link with the audience. And I'm always suspicious of art forms that lose a wide, broad audience. When an art form for generations is only playing to a, a very small sector of society, I, I think, you know, you can soon see that there's something going wrong with it. Yeah, I heartily agree. And just finally, is there a book recommendation that you could give? Well, I I discovered this um, Argentinian woman called Mariana Enriquez uh, during the lockdown, who who writes these kind of gothic horror stories, uh, but they are often they touch on you know the whole kind of experience that Argentina as a country has gone through. So there's a big political dimension to them. But uh, I, I, I found that she's a, she's a compelling, extraordinary writer. I think she's in her kind of early 40s or something. And so she's somebody I'm watching very carefully. I've, I've never met her. I don't know much about her. But she was, she's been my discovery uh, recently. Mariana Enriquez. I think her short stories and her novel have been translated into uh, English. Amazing. I will check them out. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you. Well, good luck with your. Good luck with your. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Don't be. Don't, everyone gets turned down. I know. <laughs> oh, he's right. Everyone gets turned down. Pretty much everyone we've interviewed have been turned down. They have. At least yeah. one book. I know, but you know, you know, just in that moment when you're like, I can't believe I just said that to a Nobel Prize winning author, Kasuhiro Shiguru. I know. I know. I know exactly. Yeah. So a recommendation as well. Do you know what? He sounds so like um, Bill Nye's character in Living. I've never heard him speak before. 
Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, you've seen that, obviously. I have, yeah. Oh, I adored that film. Beautiful film. So yeah. well done. Yeah, again, I don't want to say too much about it, but if you haven't seen that film, then enjoy it because it's it's delightful. Yeah, yeah, it's really well done. Um, I thought the end of the clip was going to be that you invited him on bestsellers and he said yes. <laughs> That's what I thought the surprise was going to I, be. I was like, I was on the tip of my tongue. I'm pretty sure, well, he's... I basically say, yeah, I'm pretty sure we could get Kazuo. Um, when he's got uh, another project out, I will absolutely yeah. see if we can get him. Right, shall we? Love that, by the way. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, next. Shall we fire on to? So this is now one of my all-time favourites, which you know, right? Mm-hmm. And this is Don Winslow. Yes. Uh, Don has taken an interesting career step at this point in his life, having taken seven books to reach through, and he was about to go and become a safari tour guide in Australia, right? He told me. Wow. Uh, he then broke through and Savages was one of his, which Oliver Stone brought to the big screen mm-hmm, and um, The Power of the Dog, The Cartel, all of these amazing novels. And he's now got a trilogy, which he said will be his last. And he's written them all already. So they're all done. And he's dropping one a year. So last year he dropped City on Fire, which is about, um, so it's set in uh, Rhode Island in 1986. And it's about Danny Ryan, who is, um, He's described in the blurb as a hardworking longshoreman, a loving husband, a loyal friend, and occasional muscle for an Irish crime syndicate. And it's basically, um, the book is about um, factional crime syndicates going off against each other, the Irish, the Italian mafia. Mm-hmm. Its setting is in the Iliad. Um, Stephen King has called it, uh, well, he's called Don, one of the, America's greatest storytellers which I would agree with. Um, so the first book, that City on Fire was the first book, right? Mm-hmm. The one I want to tell you about is the sequel, which has just come out in the UK in the last week or so called City of Dreams. And it is very much a sequel. So I would, I mean, you can enjoy it in isolation because Don's very good at bringing you up to speed, but you probably should read City on Fire first just to get a full background to what's happened. So um, That was going to be my first question because you know me, I'm quite... Um... I can go rogue on a series quite easily and just jump in at whatever yeah. book is out so right you, now. You could do that with um, with City of Dreams, but you would, I think, you would miss I'll a lot of the more. nuance. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because you need to be invested in the characters. And uh, in this second one, um, a job has gone badly wrong, and so they're fragmented, and they've got issues around. So Danny's got a very small baby. Um, how does he care for this baby whilst also still trying to be a kind of mobster mm-hmm. and um, his dad's not well, so how can he get his dad hospital treatment without alerting other criminals to where they are in the US? It's those kind of yeah. themes in this one. I don't want to say too much more about the story, but what Don's really good at, um, and he did the, he's done this in a couple of books of his I've read, is you'll turn the page and there'll be a new chapter and it'll be a new name that you've never come across mm-hmm. and, a, and a, a completely different setting for this. And you think, what's going on here? And a page down, you go, oh, Oh, I see. Oh, that's <laughs> genius. I, I love that. Also, one of the skills he masters really well is that I think, and we, I think we spoke to Jojo Moyes about this, it's really difficult in a novel to bring a number of characters in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of novels, successful ones, really, if you say how many people are in that story, really, there might be, say, seven or eight. Yeah. There's loads of players in Don's books. There's loads of players. There's FBI, there's mob, there's family, and um, you know who all of them are. All and it sounds characters. like, from what you're saying as well, is he quite um, quite open with the connections as soon as you meet these new characters? Because, again, I think sometimes in books, 
you'll get these disparate characters and you know they're all going to come together at some mm. point, but you're kind of waiting to read what is that connection or you're kind of trying to guess. And sometimes I can find that a bit frustrating because you're like, well, I know they're going to come together. So just, I'm I'm not uh, sure which bit I'm supposed to be following now. Yeah, so I'd say there's a split with this. So there's some breadcrumbing going on mm-hmm. and there's some instant reveals, you know. Excellent. So like, there's an FBI agent in this. And you think, why is she still interested in Danny Ryan when he's gone to ground and no, no other law enforcement's interested? And then about a page and a half after you think that, Don tells you. And you go, <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it, it's terrific. It's really terrific. It's really easy to read. Some of these chapters are a page and a half each. You know, the pace is kept really high. So, yeah, so that's the second in that uh, trilogy. The next one's coming in a year's time. It's um, City of Dreams. Uh, the Border is also brilliant by Don Winslow, if you haven't read that, and so is The Force. And I think some of these uh, are being turned into films. In fact, he's done a deal with, um, oh, I can't remember the, the film company, but I'd tell you who's going to play Danny Ryan in mm-hmm. the film version of this is Austin Butler. It's Elvis. Ooh. So nice. I always say, and I know you're a believer in this as well, read the book first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't wait for the movie, because the movie gives you an image. Yeah. I think you need to create your own image of who these people are, you know what I mean? Yeah, without, <laughs> I'm quite like looking forward though to reading this with Austin Butler in my head. Is that right? <laughs> no, I mean each their own. Yeah, I've got to tell you this. Mm. Actually, actually, should I? It's a bit of material. Um, I saw Jim Jeffries recently, and mm-hmm. um, I was so glad he picked up on this. I saw Austin Butler on Graham Norton, and yes. he was saying how he was still inhabiting the character of Elvis. Yeah, yeah, and he's Jim been quite Jeffries, open about that. Yeah. And Jim Jeffries was not having any of it, right? And he said, um, I don't think he'd still be saying that on chat shows if he'd played Hitler. Do you know what I mean? It's only because <laughs> he happened to have played one of the coolest individuals that ever lived. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And he's like, get over yourself kind of thing. You know, you're an actor. It Stop is doing point. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very funny. Okay, so let's All move right. on. You've got a third and final book for us, is it this week? No, hang on. you got, uh, you got a list. One, How long are we going? I've got, I've got three more. Okay. Uh, let me bring you a new one. So this is um, Dennis Lehane. Mm. That name ring any bells to you? It does, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Mystic River is probably the most famous. Yeah. I've not read. I've read um, Mystic River. Okay. Did you like it? I did. It's gritty. So this book, um, I still don't think he's out here. I had a preview on NetGalley. Um, and there's a historical note that starts the book, and I'll just read the historical note to you. It says, on June 21st, 1974 the year of our births. Indeed. U.S. District Court Judge W. Arthur Garrity Jr. ruled in Morgan versus Hennigan that the Boston School Committee had systematically disadvantaged black school children in the public school system. The only remedy, the judge concluded, was to begin busing students between predominantly white and predominantly black neighbourhoods to desegregate the city's public high schools. The school in the neighbourhood with the largest African-American population was Roxbury High School. The school in the neighbourhood with the largest white population was South Boston High School. It was decided these two schools would switch a significant portion of their student bodies. This order was to take effect at the beginning of the school year on September the 12th, 1974. Students and parents had less than 90 days from the date of the ruling to prepare. It was very hot in Boston that summer and it seldom rained. And you're in, Ooh, right? You're in. And, and this so is fiction, right? But presumably it's fiction, that's fiction, but setting so that's real. Yeah. That that judgment's real. I've checked that out. And so what you're talking about is a really small, closely knit um community who are suddenly told all their kids have got to go to school a couple of miles away yeah. where there's children of different colour, and then all the 
kids in that community are coming to this community. Mm. And um, setting that, what he's done is the main kind of player in it, Mary Pat, who's a mother, her daughter goes missing on the same night that there's a racially aggravated murder in the town. And so you're often wondering, well, is there a connection between those two? Um, and then quite early on, um, you discover that there's a like a local against Irish gangsters in Boston running the whole town. And they're a the kind of gangsters really, I think is misleading for the, because it's not, they're not like the Sopranos. It's more mm -hmm. like, you know, if you needed a job doing on your house, you'd go to these people and they'd fix right. it up for you. Do you know what I mean? They do this, everything. Is this the book is called Small Mercies. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I should have said that at the top. And um, they're implicated in it. And what, what it reminded me of, parts of it reminded me of the brilliant Denzel Washington film, Man on Fire. There's a huge revenge element to this story. Mm -hmm. But also the characters are really well drawn. And also all the time that you're reading it, you keep got, you've got to remember this happened. This yeah. actually happened. And I was reading it as a father thinking, how would I feel about that if all of a sudden my Not kids good. were told? No. No, I mean, it's slightly different for me as an individual because I did go to school 25 to 30 minutes away from where we grew up. Mm -hmm. um, but I wasn't forced to do that. That was a choice. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. It's called Small Mercies, Dennis Lehane. He's also said that this is going to be his last book, apparently, because he's going to move into screenwriting. I mean, he's done plenty of screenwriting anyway. Yeah. Um, but I I just saw the cover. I liked that fact that it was setting something real that happened. So I thought, mm. I'm going to have a dip in, and I couldn't get out of it. I could not get out of it. So would you say it's mainly a thriller? Yeah, it's a thriller. Um, but With it's a kind much of more, deep social Yes, and much more people-focused. Mm -hmm. much more people focused than you're not necessarily it's way more than just where's her daughter gone and yeah. it's way more than what's just happened to the kid who was murdered it's way more than that it's really clever it's it's a really clever zoom in to a story that clearly dominated in boston and i don't really know i've been to boston once i don't know it but i feel like i know it a lot more now through reading this book so mm. boston's almost a character in it yeah i love it when that happens when yeah, the place it's really a character good. Really good writing. So that, that I mean, I would say that's easily the best book I've read this year. Ooh. I'm intrigued to read it as well then. And I would love to chat to him about it if we can make that happen as well, because I'm really interested to hear about what he must have stuffed into this book as his knowing that at this point in his life, he's thinking it's going to be his final So novel. I read somewhere else mm. that he was growing up at this time and that he was in the car with his family as a small boy when the protests were happening and that the car was rocked back and forth by protesters. Mm. But I didn't read, that's not in the historical notes in my version. I don't know whether that's in the finished book or not. Interesting. That wasn't in, yeah. So nice. obviously we should explain when we get previews, they're not always the complete text, are they? Sometimes they'll say acknowledgements and it will say TBC or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Well, so far three good choices. I have not read any of those. Um, got time for another couple. Okay. Uh, Prince Harry, Spare. You've read Spare? Yeah. Yeah, um, I wanted to. I wanted to get on it to find out what the fuss was about, and I wanted to read it for myself rather than read yeah. a other newspaper's people's opinions. And, on it. Yeah. yeah, the thing that stands out, I think, and, and, and I think as journalists, I think this is something you and I would do naturally anyway. But take out of it that he's a royal for mm -hmm. a second, right? And just imagine you're reading a story of a boy growing up in a family of privilege, right? There yeah. is so much of this that you would not do as a parent, Nat, I'm telling you. There's so much, right? Mm -hmm. He goes out hunting with one of the staff one day, right, on the grounds of one of their castles. 
and catches a stag or whatever. And then I, I, I mentioned this to my mother-in-law and she was familiar with the process and I wasn't, but have you heard of blooding? Do you know what blooding is? I'm assuming this is letting the blood out of whatever animal you've just killed. No, it's worse than that. It's getting the blood of the animal you've killed and smearing it on your face and to apparently celebrate the kill. So this Isn't guy that something says, that they do in like Lord of the Flies. Maybe. So, th- so this guy says to Harry, who's about twelve or thirteen or whatever, you know, young, still young, really. Mm. Um, that this is what you need to do. So as Harry gets close to this dead animal he's just killed, right? Um, the guy then pushes his head into the animal, mm. and so he's in the inside carcass of a. And I mean, just thinking that's just abuse. Yeah, that's just child abuse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plain, straightforward. So. Now, that's just one story. There's loads of stories like that in the book. And at yeah. each juncture, you're thinking, hang on, who's stepping in here? Who's saying, who's saying yeah. let's not do that, lads? Yeah. So that's the most shocking aspect I found. I mean, there's, they're so dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. I think we kind so, of knew that. Yeah. So leaving aside the royal aspect, which obviously people have quite strong opinions about. Yeah. Um, as they do other elements of that family, some of which, many of which I find ridiculous. Um was it a good read? Did you enjoy the process of reading the book? Um, yeah, I so that's a really good question because the answer to it is I didn't race through it. Mm-hmm. It's a chunk book. You have to yes. do a chunk and then you need a rest because it's quite wordy, it's quite lengthy, and there's quite a lot of protocol and stuff that he explains, but I'm not really that interested in. Mm-hmm. So that's why. So occasionally you get a story like that or you know the story that made the press about him losing his virginity with a woman in a field and and you know all yeah. the security he managed to shake off his security detail you know mm-hmm. th- those are those are huge entertaining stories um and again a bit similar to the bono book what you realize is so my uh, my nan i'm sure she wouldn't mind me sharing this with you she's no longer with us but my mom's mom she had two brilliant phrases right which i've carried with me through life and one of them was i remember the school got closed because it was an election day, right? And I said, Nan, why can't I go to school? So she was looking after us. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, they're using your school as a polling station, darling. Mm-hmm. So I said, what does that mean? I swear people go and cast their vote. I said, oh, right, how do you know who to vote for? And she said to me, oh, don't worry about that, son. They all piss in the same pot. And she's kind of right. Mm-hmm. And But at, at kind of 11, no, I'd have been younger because it would have been, second, it would have been junior school. So I'd have been like 10, just thinking, what are you on about? Right? But just laughing, you know. And the other one was I remember when, um, people thought they were better than you, right? Yes. And she said, don't worry, their shit still stinks. Yeah. And I think there's an element to which where we go, oh, Bono and all his money and his private jets, or Prince Harry and all that privilege, but actually their shit still stinks. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's still a 16-year-old lad who wants to jump over a fence and get his end away. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, and those mm-hmm. bits are quite humanising. Yes. But there are other bits where you just think, that I just know, I mean, I just know you'd read it and you'd go, well, I certainly wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have raised my children like that. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't. You know, there's quite mm-hmm, a few mm-hmm. stories in there where you think, it's no wonder there's a bit of damage there. Yeah. So that's spare for you. Interestingly, when I was on holiday, I liked to, when I'm swimming in a swimming pool, mm-hmm. I like to have a peer up around the edge of the pool to see what people are reading. Me too, yeah. Quite a lot of people reading spare. Oh, really? Quite a lot of people, yeah. In different languages as well, because it's got a different, obviously different name in different languages. Oh. Because I was about to say, like, were you somewhere where it was kind of, you know, a massive congregation of British people, but clearly not. We always holiday in Windsor, you know that. (laughs) 
Uh, the next book I'm going to tell you about, um, I only want to flag this because this book's been everywhere and I was late onto it. So this is a really late review, but Bonnie Garmus Lessons in Chemistry. Oh, yeah. I know you were trying to get hold of Bonnie for the I podcast. I was, I was. Um, it's just the most delightful book. And I had an email, I think from Apple, I think it was Apple who were doing this. So it's going to be on a streamer soon. And again, just read it, it before it comes Brie to the Brie Larson is playing um, Elizabeth Zott, who is the main right. character in Lessons in Chemistry. Right. Uh, yeah, it's a really good team behind it. And I think the trailer recently came out, so you can watch that as well. Read the book first. It's a brilliant idea for a book. I mean, there, there are two concepts behind it. The first concept is um, how do you know when you're in love with somebody? You know, what is it? You know, I remember being really frustrated by that when I was, say, in my 20s and I had a string of girlfriends that had all hadn't worked out. And mum just said to me, oh, when you know, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> well, what does that even mean? It's really not helpful. How am I scoring it? You know what I mean? What am I... And um, and in this, because they're they're both scientists, um, there's quite a lot of scientific. Now I'm not a scientist in the scientist, so don't let that put you off. By the way, <laughs> it's written in such a manner that you don't need to understand science no. to get to get the nuance in it. First of all, and then so the main character is very fed up because she's a scientist, but her work is discredited because it's late fifties in America, and only the men's work is recognised and not the women's work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then she gets headhunted for a TV show. A cooking TV show where she thinks brilliant. I'll I'll adopt science to cooking, but they just want a pretty face on screen, and that that's a really brilliant play as well. And I just thought the whole setup was it felt fresh, felt like something I'd never read before. It's a debut, isn't it, from Bonnie Garmer? She's it not is. written before. She'd come from a world of advertising. Yeah. But I just think um, also I picked this up in Waterstones because they had a limited edition, and I'm a bugger for a sprayed edge. If you spray an edge on a hardback, I will buy that book. It looks so uh, nice. Yeah, it looks really pretty. Looks great on the shelf. I also really liked in that book because I've read Lessons in Chemistry too and mm -hmm. I am quite partial to a bit of magical realism and right. you hear from different voices throughout the story, so different points of view and one of those is her dog. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah, that's really well done actually, isn't it? Because is. again, so I'm glad you said that because again, I'm not mad on magical realism. I didn't think you would be. But at no point did I go, oh, what the dog's talking what <laughs> it's completely plausible it's yeah, really well yeah. done yeah. yeah it is. so that's what you should definitely check that out before it comes out on the small screen lessons in chemistry bonnie garmus g-a-r-m-u-s we have spoken about bono yeah. surrender don winslow's city of dreams mm -hmm. dennis lahane's small mercies prince harry's spare and bonnie garmus's lessons in chemistry which means there's only one more to tell you about and the reason i I read this book is because I hosted an event with the author, but it's Harlan Coben's latest book. I will oh. find you right now. We've discussed a wide variety of books today, haven't we? And there's various different reasons why they appeal mm -hmm. with thrillers. It's normally, and this is broadly speaking, it's normally a who done it or it's a how done it in it. Yes. So, you know, who, and you wonder, is it how, well, how did they get pulled? Or how did they pull that high stuff or whatever? That's the kind of thing. So with this, right. The opening of this book, is a father who's in jail for murdering his four-year-old son, right? Okay. So it's, quite, it's quite stark. Yeah. And and he says, but I didn't do it, right? Okay. But there's so much evidence. There's DNA evidence at the crime scene. It was found in – the body's found near to the house, blah, blah, blah. blah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just almost like, you know, if you read the bare details of this case in the newspaper, you'd go, well, of course he's done it, right? Absolutely bang to rights. So then the book is, well, has he? Or has yeah. he not? And if he hasn't, right, how does he prove his innocence? And that's what the book's about. And can I ask, because 
I really like, I trust your opinions and uh-huh. uh, I don't read as many thrillers as you do, but uh-huh. if there's like a small kid that's been murdered, regardless of the circumstances around it, I'm a bit like, do I really want to invest my entertainment time in that? Yeah. So I totally get that. It's a question I put to Harlan himself because he's got four children of his own, mm. right? And also it's something that's changed in me since becoming a father. I think it's so natural, right? Pre-kids, I used to wouldn't I wouldn't flinch at any of this stuff, right? I can't quite answer your question without spoiling the book. <laughs> does that does that give you a clue? If you're bright enough, you'll work out the clue I'm trying to give you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I've got it. So that's what I would say. I would say that that's the setup. But trust then, the author. Trust the author. And it's not this is not a gruesome book. Okay. This is more and there's um there are two coppers in this that he's not created before, right? Who are trying to work out what's going on. And they're hilarious. They are hilarious. A male and a female, male's gay, but you think at the start that they must be somehow romantically involved, but they're mm-hmm. not. So mm-hmm. they, they've got that kind of frisson between them. Mm-hmm. And um it means that the dialogue in every scene where they're involved in an interrogation or a crime scene or a lead chasing a new lead is just hilarious. And that levity really helps with the book. Uh, again, I'm I'm interested. Yeah. Nice recommendations. Thanks. So just to recap, that's I Will Find You, Harlan Coben. It's already been number one on both sides of the pond. Um, and I, I was I was with him after the event when he found out he was number one. And he Aww. sat there in this restaurant and he punched the air. This is a guy who's had countless number ones. It still <laughs> means that much to him. And I love that. I love yeah. that. And on the same day that we did the event, they were filming in my area in in Manchester mm-hmm. for one of his uh, books for Netflix, and he still wow. oversees that. And so we we're having dinner together, and Adi Laktar came and joined us, who had just been BAFTA nominated that day for Sherwood, and he's in the new Netflix adaptation. And uh, that's Joanna, like a lovely dinner. It was really nice. Joanna Lumley didn't turn up, but she's in it. Michelle Keegan's in it. And so, yeah, at any one time, he's either writing a book or overseeing the TV production of the book. Mm-hmm. which my friend Danny Bockerhurst writes all the screenplays for, which I want to give a shout out for because Danny's mega talented, but he's the shyest man on the planet. <laughs> he's lovely, <laughs> but he's lovely. Writes Brassic as well for Sky. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so that's that one. And then we mentioned Spare Prince Harry, Lessons in Chemistry, Bonnie Garmus, Surrender by Bono, uh, Don Winslow, City of Dreams, uh, Dennis Lehane, uh, Small Mercies. I don't think I've missed anything. Do you know what I've got by the bed, which I wanted to big you up for? Yeah. Um, do you remember you mentioned, I think you told me on this podcast, you'd read Paul Newman's life story. Yes. And yeah. I've got it. So I ordered it. It's beautiful, uh-huh. isn't it? What a beautiful book. First it's of all, the book. cover shot on its own, mm-hmm. just the black and white still of his face. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's that's good to go. And I've also got the Alan Rickman diaries good to go. Nice. I've read some of the Alan Rickman diaries and I am. Um... They're really snidey, aren't they? <laughs> they are. They're really short. I kind of love the brevity of them. So they're is often his diary entries are, you know, maybe five lines long, but it's the things like he will just say one word about went to the cinema, saw Titanic or whatever it is quite good. or something. <laughs> so do you know what's interesting about that? Right. My, well, only to me, baby. Um, my soon to be seven year old has just bought his first diary and it's mm. they're, they're quite cute now. It's a cute little diary with a furry cover and mm-hmm. it's got a lock on it, a padlock yep. and he can put his own code in and it's, so he's quite into that. And I said to him, so have you done a diary entry then? And he said, oh, no, I'm not going to use it like that. I said, oh, what do you mean? He said, I'm going to use it for my designs and also for my artwork. He said, but I don't want other people to see them yet until they're finished. 
So I said, all right, okay. So you're not going to do like Saturday, went to the cinema with daddy and, and my brother. No, 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 no. He said, no, it's um, it's specific drawings and designs and all sorts of Great, that sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. yeah, my brain when you were saying that was like, oh, I haven't, I got out of the practice of writing a diary, but if I did write a diary for this weekend, it would be that I had one of the best sandwiches of my life. I know, because do you know how I know this? Because <laughs> so you hardly I... bother with Instagram, <laughs> and it was on there, and when I read it. Yeah, good sandwich, well, you lad. not be any more excited. I haven't heard you that euphoric about anything. <laughs> yeah, you should know by now, like, I obviously love books and films and music and uh, culture but food really good sandwich incredible yeah i should say it was the the soul bakery and cafe just off the a303 at chicklade if anybody's interested so good leslie jameson <laughs> aa roadwatch <laughs> we got an unexpected uh, bakery and cafe recommendation alongside your books well i think that is it for this that's it for, for my pick yeah, that's, yeah do you know what though when i talk to you about it it's not bad, is it? It's not bad effort when you consider the reading that we also do for the podcast. Yeah, and again, as we always say, I just hope that something in the discussion today has piqued somebody listening, the interest of somebody listening, and made you go, oh, yeah, I didn't know about that book, or I don't know that author, or I really like sandwiches too. And next time it's going to be my my selections. I didn't know Natalie was so food obsessed. That's really interesting. I'll do some research on that. There you go. <laughs> something for everyone. <laughs>